we have got to get up to a level past 80, 85% to get enough people immunized that one, we don't spread the virus and two, the likelihood of developing variants goes down. Back to the Good and Grounded podcast, along with my co-host Laura Love, I'm Jim Licko. We're working to bring some of the most timely and relevant discussions for our community to the forefront, and this episode will be no different as we discuss the COVID-19 vaccine, and particularly the vaccine when it comes to kids ages 12 to 19. Dr. Bajaj is the Chief Quality and Outcomes Officer at Children's Hospital Colorado, where he previously held the title of Medical Director. His background in pediatric emergency medicine with a long, long list of peer-reviewed research, one that we could probably spend all of our time listing, but suffice it to say, he is an expert in pediatric medicine, and we're so fortunate to have him join us today. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So there are obviously a gazillion topics we could use your expertise on regarding the COVID-19 vaccine, but if you would, can we just start with how this vaccine came to be? Because it seems like the perception is the COVID-19 vaccine was rushed to market in some ways. So when did the vaccine development begin and how does it compare to the speed at which other vaccines became available? Sure, absolutely. I, I think that's a great question. So the technology behind this vaccine, which uses messenger RNA, has actually been in development for a couple of decades. Um, it's a really novel technology that's been looked at uh, in terms of delivering pieces of particular viruses to the body in a, in a way that allows the body then to create probably some of the most robust immune responses we've ever seen to a vaccine. What happened um, with the COVID-19 pandemic was that there was a decision made through the federal government to create Operation Warp Speed. And what that did was, is it, it directly funneled research and development monies uh, to particular companies to allow for a expedited process in taking this technology and developing the vaccine and getting it to market. Um, while I think some folks question the speed that it occurred, I think it's really important to realize how long the technology has been around and that it really needed a particular platform that it could be used. And this turned out to be the perfect platform to use it. As is the case throughout the, this whole pandemic, there's been a ton of misinformation out there about the COVID-19 vaccine and, and some of it coming from at least, you know, first glance, it may seem or by job title, seemingly reputable sources. Um, folks that have medical degrees, uh, backgrounds and things like that. You know, we've seen the videos of doctors speaking up at school board meetings or, or similar where they make the case against the vaccine with great confidence. But the information they're sharing is almost always misleading. Can you talk to our audience about how this vaccine works and how uh, speak to its safety? So the uh, vaccine works by what's called a, a lipid coat or a fat coat surrounds a piece of messenger RNA. And that messenger RNA actually codes for a portion of what's called the spike protein on the surface of the virus. It's just a small piece. And when it enters your body, it's able to, that, that lipid coat, since your cells are also coated with lipid, it can attach itself and then that mRNA can get into the cell. 
mRNA is a very short-lived molecule, seconds it can live inside the cell. It cannot get into the nucleus of the cell where the DNA is. There's no mechanism by which it can do that. And so one of the concerns is that it will alter your DNA. And there's really no biologic mechanism by which it can do that. And now we have delivered millions and millions and millions of doses and, and including to uh, pregnant women. And there is no signal at all that this is altering anyone's DNA. One of the other issues that came up around fertility came up because the spike protein has some similarities to a, another protein uh, that's expressed in the female reproductive tract, on the placenta actually specifically. And there was some concern about cross-reactivity and none of that has panned out. It has not impacted fertility. Uh, and since we're gathering so much data on a constant basis, um, I feel confident we would have seen that signal and we have not seen any of that. And then the male is fertility issues. Um, there's an excellent research letter that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that actually showed um, that male sperm counts actually tended to increase post the second dose, but all within the normal range. But there was no evidence of any decrease in any uh, male fertility either. Um, this in the age of information spread that we're dealing with right now and social media, et cetera, it is so easy to get trapped in some of these. And also it's easy to get trapped in some of the information that, well, kids don't get sick from this. Well, actually they do. And it's important to recognize that not only do kids get sick, but they tend to, when they do get infected, they're able to infect other vulnerable people. And I think that's, and and you, you guys have seen this data in areas where we have better vaccine penetrance, we have less um, hospitalized cases of COVID in every age group. Well, and I will speak from personal experience as I have a 10 year old, a 12 year old and a 19 year old. My 19-year-old was vaccinated with J&J. &J. She was home for a week between travel um, and school. And so she got vaccinated. My 12-year-old has a Pfizer, obviously. He was vaccinated. My 19-year-old did get a breakthrough case. And she didn't even know she was sick. She was completely asymptomatic. And to your point, you know, <laughs> I think it was more just for her. She had to sit inside for, you know, her length of time to not expose the rest of us to it. But she was fine. So taking all of that and and kids going back to school and the concern about, you know, the 12 to 19 year old or even older, how important is it to get these kids vaccinated that can be vaccinated right now? Well, I, I think it's, it's exceedingly important, not just for the patient, but for the community as a whole. Um, you know, the concept of herd immunity, which means that you have enough of the population vaccinated that you impact the ability for these viruses to spread. Viruses are looking, their whole goal is to replicate. So they have to balance whether or not they, they actually kill their host, because if they do that too quickly, they can't find another host. As That's what happened with the SARS epidemic in 2003 that we saw. That was such a, 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 such a, a virulent or pathogenic virus that killed its host, couldn't propagate. This has created a, 
a, a, a good balance for the uh, virus in that it finds hosts. They don't oftentimes know they're sick and therefore they can propagate and then spread to other people. So it's important so that you yourself don't get sick, but if we're gonna get a handle on the ability to return to some normalcy, we have got to get up to a level past 80, 85% to get enough people immunized that one, we don't spread the virus, and two, the likelihood of developing variants goes down. When the virus is able to replicate, as much as these viruses are able to replicate, these random mutations occur. But now coronavirus is actually pretty good at fixing those mutations. But when a mutation provides an advantage to infect more people, it's going to propagate. So we call this the vaccine versus variant race. To be honest with you, with the Delta variant, we lost the race. We did not get vaccine penetrance high enough in order to get in front of that variant. And there will be more variants, Lambda, Iota, there are other variants that are gonna that are popping up. Well, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. And I know that, well, as personally as a parent with a 10-year-old who cannot get vaccinated yet, there's a lot of people that have that question. How soon can they get vaccinated? What's the timeline look like? And let me tell you that at Children's, we participated in the Pfizer trial for five to 11-year-olds. We enrolled about 252 kids, and that was done end of June, beginning of July. Um, you need a few months in order to get all of your safety and immune data in order to submit to the FDA, which we're hoping is by the end of September, and then they will review all of that data. Um, and then we're hopeful that by mid-October, that the emergency youth authorization is extended then to the uh, to this age group. I realize we don't want to get people's hopes up that we'll see this in mid-October, but that to me is probably the earliest we will see something. I'm hopeful, but again, this is such a, a challenging, constantly moving situation. When that data is aggregated and able to be submitted, it, it is still something we can't firmly plan. And and it's, it's an interesting conversation because some people say it came too fast, but now they're wondering why it's taking so long for these kids. <laughs> right. It's like, well, you can't have it every way you want it. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw a news clip where they said this, the where they said that too in the same sentence. You know, it was sort of like this was rushed to market. Why is it taking so long? <laughs> you know, it was uh, very contradictory. <laughs> Absolutely. I wanna I wanna ask real quick and go back to the breakthrough cases because I feel like I've seen a lot of of comments and, and information that uh, makes the vaccine seem like it's not working because there are breakthrough cases. Are breakthrough cases something that's expected in your world? Absolutely. Um, so we knew off the bat with the wild type virus and the trials that were done, we were still going to see five to 7% breakthrough, right? Um, and so that was to be expected. And then when you've got variants that are emerging, especially when you only have, you know, at times a third of the population vaccinated, those variants are then going to um, show up with some advantage, even in vaccinated people. The great news is that it the severity of the illness is so impacted by your vaccine status. So not only do we expect breakthrough, but when we see a vaccine perform as well as this one does in preventing severe disease, that is a win 
that is such a huge win for um, the vaccine and the and the ability to uh, impact community resources. Um, we're not seeing adults in who are vaccinated fill up hospitals. Mm-hmm. We're seeing adults fill up hospitals in areas where they're not vaccinated, as well as in, you know, still we're even a good vaccination rate, which unfortunately in this country is 55%. Um, that's still a lot of unvaccinated folks. Mm-hmm. Well, we always love to leave our listeners with one or two things that they can do to make a difference in the issue that we're talking about. And certainly getting vaccinated, getting your kids that are eligible vaccinated is top on our list. What else could people do to help move this along? Yeah, I, I think there's, uh, you know, when you're in a community and you have, uh, and people are, are concerned and they're asking questions, they're worried, I think to help them, um, one, it's a great thing to share, like you shared, Laura, your story of your kids, to say, yeah, she got a breakthrough infection, but she barely knew she was sick. Mm-hmm. My kids have done really well with this vaccine. You know, I trust the CDC and, you know, the CDC websites are really, you know, helpful. Um, And I think we have to think about this uh, in combination of the individual and then the community as a whole. Um, I I really feel like, you know, when we're in the environments, I realize that those conversations can, can get pretty contentious because unfortunately they are sort of wrapped up in political context. Mm-hmm. Um, so from from the standpoint of what can people do, I think they can help those who are reluctant and need you know some more information. Um, the implications that I think if you get um, a significant proportion of the population vaccinated, our kids can stay in school way better for their mental mm-hmm. health. I mean, the other thing I see from a PZD perspective is the incredible mental health crisis that we're going through. Um, And, you know, we fill up with uh, uh, unfortunate children who are really, really suffering in a crisis. Um, So to get kids back in school, to get hopefully the masks off, we're not ready to do that yet. We need Mm -hmm. to get keep the masks on. and to, to really get back to normalcy, we're going to have to do this. And I also want to reassure people that, you know, the, the science is very strong. Nothing is without risk, but the risks are unbelievably small in comparison to the risks we face um, from actual COVID infection. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hopeful that that we can start to have some of those conversations in a, in a civil way and, and talk to people and have those discussions. And we're certainly appreciative that you, you took the time to join us today and, and provide your level of expertise on this subject and, and help us understand things a little bit better. Hopefully um, this, you know, uh, gets out to some folks and, and will spur those conversations and get more people vaccinated and get those kiddos into, to get their vaccination and they can get back to school and we can all get back to normal sooner rather than later. So, yeah, I, I think there's still plenty of hope to have. I, I think, unfortunately, um, when we saw some hope, the variant kind of came in and decided it was going to spoil us for a little while. Yeah. But um, I'm really hopeful we're going to continue to um, increase our vaccination rates. We're going to learn more and more uh, ways to um, help protect each other and uh 
that we trust the science. So I'm, I am hopeful that we're going to get out of this. I have a lot of faith in our scientific community and our ability to protect our individuals and our children. Yeah, well, as a mom of three, I certainly have always just been so grateful that Children's Hospital is in our backyard. And after hearing you and talk about this during this really difficult time, I feel even more grateful. So thank you. Uh, oh, you're welcome. We're, um, it's a privilege for me to get to do what I do. Well, I, I don't know about you, Laura, but that, that conversation with Dr. Bazaj, just was, it was so fulfilling for me. It was nice to hear from uh, an expert of his caliber in the medical field to talk about, um, you know, the things that we've heard as far as the vaccination being safe and those types of things, but then also things we maybe didn't know, like they expected breakthrough cases and things like that. It just, it, it puts people's mind at ease. The fact that the FDA has approved the Pfizer vaccine, um, that, that many uh, businesses are requiring, you know, vaccination proof to, to get back in to make people feel safe so that businesses can be open so that small music venues can continue to thrive. I think all of those things for me, are my one cool thing that I'm taking away from this episode right now. Absolutely. It was so comforting to know that Dr. Bajaj and his colleagues are doing these incredible things and it's right here in our Colorado community. So if you hear of a good story that needs to be shared, please let us know. Just send us a short email and we'd be happy to follow up. Certainly follow us on goodandgrounded.com, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And let's get out there together and do some more good. Thanks for joining us.